in this episode, we have a very special guest joining us, Luis Ambrose, who is a Bundesliga expert and who's also a big Arsenal fan. He is he's one of the go-to person if you are a Bundesliga enthusiast. He has his own newsletter on Substack as well, but I let him introduce himself. Welcome to the show, Luis. No, I think you were doing a much better job of introducing me than I would do. So, no, thanks a lot for, for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, cool. I mean, if, before we start off, it would be great if you could, you know, just let the people know about your you know, newsletter and what to do. Yeah, sure. So, um, um, you can find find my usually weekly Bundesliga newsletter um, on uh, Fussball in English. Uh, so, it's F-U-S-S, Ball in English, um, on Substack, yeah, as as, as it was just mentioned. So any anyone who wants to read something once a week, sometimes, I guess, stats or analysis-based and sometimes more about some of the stories in German football at the moment, um, yeah, please head on over and subscribe. It would be, mean a lot to me for anybody who does subscribe. Yeah, and I, I can definitely vouch for the quality of uh, the writing and the content that you give. So that's, that's great. And it's a pleasure having you on. And yeah, we will kick off uh, by talking about Borussia Dortmund, which is the main point of discussion today in this episode. And it's been a very a mixed season for Dortmund because they find themselves second uh, in the Bundesliga table, although nine points behind Bayern at the moment after 29 games. But they're out of Europe, they were out of the Champions League in the group stage, uh, couldn't make it uh, past Sporting or Ajax. Uh, they did win twice against Besiktas. They had an early home win against Sporting as well, but they couldn't make it out of the group. And once they went into Europa League, uh, it was pretty bad there as well against Rangers. They got knocked out immediately. So it wasn't a very merry season. Uh, I don't think it's a merry season right now because there's a lot of pressure on Marco Rosa and there's like a lot of talk going on. We'll come to that. But Luis... Uh, how would you like describe this this Dortmund season? Because it's been quite mixed. Although in the Bundesliga, it seems quite okay considering they're still second. Yeah, it's a tricky one because obviously, you know, in Germany, fans only only two weeks ago returned to the stadiums fully as well. So it still had that kind of behind closed doors feeling, and like everything isn't quite normal and real. And usually, it's something Marco Rosa spoke about himself recently, though that that his that comes across, you know, with even limited capacity or not many people in the stadium or now that fans have returned, that he's completely aware that the style of play, the actual performances are not something that has convinced the fans this season. Um, I think, yeah, the season started with a lot of points, but not so many performances that were impressive, I think, before Christmas. So half the season, the first 17 games of the season. Um, I think there were two clean sheets in the league for Dortmund. I don't think anybody had less than that. Um, if, if maybe Kreuterfurt had only managed one and was sitting bottom of the table. Um, obviously not what you expect from a team who, at the very least, have to finish second every year. That's the remit for Dortmund. And it's a really strange position they find themselves in. You know, you, if you look at Spain, there are two teams that expect to win the league every year. Or England, there are, let's say at the moment, I guess two teams that expect to win the league every year. And then four other teams who hope to be with them and, and hope to fill the other Champions League places. Uh, the Bundesliga is very much, Bayern Munich are, are so much richer and so much bigger and so much more successful than everybody else that everybody anticipates Bayern will win the league. And Dortmund's job is to stay close in case Bayern have a good have a, have a bad year and to be there and, and pounce on that. 
the the tricky thing with that is that people say you know Dortmund have to be there in case Bayern slip up, but if anyone was that consistent, then Bayern would never slip up anyway. So it, that kind of premise doesn't allow for a bad season or a transitional season for Dortmund. I think there was a bit of a reset button hit last year by by appointing Michael Rosa. I think after Jurgen Klopp's departure, and especially since Thomas Tuchel's departure, the club didn't really have a, an identity. And I know that people maybe sometimes don't like that word so much, but I, for me, identity also means a long-term plan that you can see from, from the outside. There was no continuity in the type of coach that Dortmund appointed uh, in, in Peter Bosch, Peter Stoger as an interim, and then Lucien Favre. There was no, you know, the identity of the club is very much hardworking. You know, Dortmund's quite a poor area and uh, Germany, a really working class area. People go to the stadium every week and expect to see 11 players who will put everything on the line and, and have to be dragged off the pitch because they've worked so hard. And I think when you know that about the, the area and the fans, it becomes really easy to understand why Klopp and Dortmund were such a perfect fit. Obviously, when somebody like Klopp leaves, you have a huge problem replacing him and you also have a problem replacing players who had huge success under him. And it felt like Dortmund really didn't know what they wanted to be or were supposed to be. I think Marco Rosa is more than anyone else who has followed Klopp in that kind of mould of a Jurgen Klopp who will want the team to press and work hard and, and play high intensity football. The problem is they've had so many different coaches and so many different people pulling the club in different directions over the years that he's come in and he doesn't have a squad that can actually do that. So it's really hard to watch Dortmund. I don't know. I, I mean, I watch Dortmund every week. And I'd be really interested to hear what people think when they watch Dortmund maybe more occasionally. Because right now, I feel like you watch Dortmund and you can't tell what Marco Rosa actually wants. But it's just kind of a weird mixture of players. And he doesn't have a choice but to play this weird football that isn't really anything. Yeah, I mean, um, even in terms of, if you just look, like, look at some of the underlying numbers, like the expected goal difference, they're still like third in the league, third best in the league. Um uh, in terms of PPDA, they are like fifth in the league. So they are not like the best process. It's it's somewhere around 11 point something, if, if I'm not wrong, according to the analyst, which is powered by Opta. And the way they play as well, I think they keep the ball. They have longer passing sequences. And that's that's kind of been their style under Marco Rose, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so I think... I think as, as like... Whenever I've, I've caught like Dortmund this season, it seemed like... The football is quite nice to watch at times, but when they don't have the ball, it seems like things completely go wrong. Uh, I, I mean, so, so, sometimes when you watch them, it feels like, you know, you just need what, that one moment of quality from the opposition to you know, entirely break the Dortmund defence. And it's been that kind of season as well, I, I guess. I mean, the recent result against uh, Leipzig was quite quite poor. And I think that actually caught a lot of steam as well, the way... Leipzig kept on scoring and how you know the defense just completely broke down. So do you think it's 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 uh, more to do with personnel rather than tactics? Yeah, like my my reading of the situation is that I don't think it's possible to to coach this team into one way of playing. Um, I think you close your eyes and you or, or we or we put it this way: Liverpool play every week and, and and we watch them, and Manchester City play every week and we watch them, and those are extreme examples, right? Um, but I think you could throw in like Julian Nagelsmann there as well, Hansi Flick when he was in charge of Bayern. They, they, and we're talking about the top coaches, but if Dortmund want to win the league ever, then they have to have a top coach who, who can make up that financial gap to Bayern a little bit in, on, on the training pitch. And 
you could put on a football match and take all of the color away and just have a team playing in black shirts and a team playing in white shirts. And I think most regular football watchers could tell you which team was Liverpool or which team was Manchester City because they're doing things that stand out. They're doing things that are like the template of, of their coach's way to play. I don't think we've seen any of that from Dortmund this season because I think Marco Rosa wants wingbacks who fly up and down the wing. I think he wants midfielders who are really hard in the tackle. I, I mean, the I think Klopp kind of is the template. And, you know, you watch his, his Salzburg side, the Salzburg side a few years ago that knocked Dortmund out of the Europa League when, when Peter Bosch and then Peter Stogel was in charge. And you watched his Gladbach in the first season when they, they made it to the Champions League. And then even the group stage the following season, they played really well against Real Madrid and against Inter, like top, top teams. And you saw a way of playing. You saw fullbacks that got up and down. It's like Klopp's Dortmund in a way. You know, Schmelz and Piszczek, uh, Sven Bender crunching into tackles in midfield. It, it's this style of football. You know, Dennis Zakaria was there at Gladbach and, and Stefan Leimer getting up and down at right back. And the players don't really exist at Dortmund. There's not a really, there isn't a right back in the squad who was built for this way of playing. Rafael Guerrero is the obvious choice at left back, but is such a technical player. And I mean, he looks like a like a Guardiola. You know, he wants to tuck into midfield, and you you look away from the TV for five seconds, and then you look back, and he's walking around in the number ten position, and he's a left back. There's no. There are no players built for direct football, really. I mean, Erling Haaland is, is a bit of an exception there. Marco Royce is fantastic at pressing. You mentioned the analyst before. I think if you go look at the analyst, that Marco Royce has the, the most high turnovers for any forward in the league this season, still at, at 32 years old, because it's just something that he's spectacularly good at, reading the game and, and getting himself into good, great pressing positions. But still, he's not the player that he was a few years ago. His, his speed has lost has been lost completely. On the wings, you've got a lot of players who cut inside and they're tricky and quite quick feet, but there are no direct players. You're talking about Julian Trant and, and Torgan Hazard and Daniel Marlon, who was, you know, not sure if he was signed as a striker or signed as a winger and what he's really supposed to be. I think the the reason I think it's the personnel is, and I don't think we're seeing what Marco Rosa wants his football team to look like mostly, is that all through preseason when he arrived and, you know, there weren't too many players at the Euros. He had most of his squad available and he played a diamond like he played in the first season at Gladbach and he played a diamond. He played Axel Witzel or, or Mo de Hood at the, or Mo de Hood because Witzel was at the Euros, but um, de Hood at the base of the diamond. And he had uh, Gio Reyna and, and Julian Brandt. And then when they came back from the Euros, Mark Royce and Jude Bellingham filling those other positions. And Reyna was so important in those games. He was really, really crucial to the way Dortmund were playing at the start of the season. The, you know, Guerrero wasn't available at the time and Nico Schulz played left back and really held the width, completely unlike how we're used to watching Guerrero play. And Reyna played on that left of the diamond and buzzed around and would make runs beyond the strikers and beyond the number 10. And he's made six starts this season. He's played 439 minutes and the diamond hasn't really been seen. So I think his absence has been a huge reason for that. I think he's a player that they looked at in the in the summer when they came in, the new coaching team, and thought this was a player that was going to be crucial to them. And it looked like that early in the season. He started the season really well. He scored on the opening day. And yeah, but just a number of injuries. And, and another one last week in the, the first minute of the game against Stuttgart, his first start for months. 
And once again, he's out, his season's over. Uh, I, I don't think they've been able to do what they wanted to do with him. I think Donya Marlon found it hard to get going when he arrived. Erling Haaland's only played, I mean, coming up now, if he missed any more games this season, you're looking at him basically only playing half the minutes of, of the season that he's been, that have been available to him. So it's been really, really hard. And I think you look at the team and you look at who's playing and Jude Bellingham sticks out and Michael Royce maybe as well as the only players that Michael Rosa wants in his team every week that have actually been available every week. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I want to ask you about Donald Marlon, but you basically like mentioned how he's he's not been able to really gel in with the team quite yet. But um, you mentioned Erling Haaland missing like a big part of the season, but he's still the top scorer in all competitions. And, and there's, there's like a really, really big chance he leaves Dortmund this summer. Do you think his the, the money that Dortmund might be able to get uh, from Haaland's sale could possibly help Rosa build, you know, his own system with the kind of players he can like bring in? Unfortunately, I don't think Dortmund are going to get too much money. Um, I mean, there's obviously, uh, uh, whether it's in, written in the contract or not, there's, there's this release clause that people talk about. The, the most recent reports in Germany suggested that Dortmund will only actually see 50 million euros um, because of agreements, you know, the, the, how much money goes to Minareola and how much goes to Holland himself and that kind of thing. And, and I don't know if there's a, an agreement with Salzburg to send some money their way uh, for the profit that gets made on, on him from when Dortmund signed him what, two years ago. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think it will be enough money to rebuild anything. I think in combination with the fact that Axel Witzel's contract is expiring, uh, Manuel Kanji is likely to be sold and has already been replaced with Nicolas Sudo arriving on a free transfer. I think that the that money leaving the wage bill will give Dortmund a lot more space to experiment and and find solutions. And then the, you know, to to not behave the way they have behaved in recent seasons because I think Dortmund really would have liked to have got rid of Nico Schulz and Marius Wolf and players like that a year ago, but they've given such huge wages to these players that. You know the way the, the the gap, the financial gap between Dortmund and everyone else in the Bundesliga is basically the same as the financial gap between Dortmund and Bayern at the top of the Bundesliga. Obviously, if Dortmund can't, if, if they can't squeeze in a player like Emre Can is another one who, who's been disappointing, I think, since he arrived. Dortmund have given him so much money that there's no one else in Germany that's able or willing to to give a contract like that to a player. Um, you know, Wolf, Marlon, uh, not Marlon, sorry, Wolf. Uh, Grant is another one, Emre Chan. So the team, the, the club just kind of gets stuck with these players. And obviously that's wage bill that you can't shift and, and spend elsewhere. So with Axel Witzel's contract expiring, Manuel Akanji is likely to be sold because uh, because there's no agreement on a new contract there. I think those deals and, you know, the fact they've managed to get Nicolas Sulet come in on a free transfer already. I, I think that money will be available, maybe not necessarily just from the Erling Haaland move, but in total money will be available to free up you know, uh, at least enough cash to rebuild parts of the squad and make sure that there are positions that are obviously going to be prioritised and finding somebody, like you said, who scores goals is going to be number one top of that list. I mean, I you mentioned Emre Chan there because um, and he's he's one of those players whose uh, whose career has like taken a downward slope since he uh, left Liverpool on a free transfer. It wasn't like the perfect, uh, Liverpool wasn't the perfect fit for him either, to be honest, because there were a lot of games wherein he would he would get caught out in midfield, he would overcome it in a press and 
you know, there's there's always been that side uh, in in his game, and that's something I think that's not that's not seen improvement at all. And you you've seen that like multiple times, even at Dortmund, wherein like he is probably at the end of a lot of errors that Dortmund make. So that's that's been quite unfortunate. And yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I think the wage bill is probably a serious concern. Maybe after Thomas Tuchel's uh, era, I don't think the team has collectively been. Uh, stronger in terms of quality i think all over the, all over the pitch that's something probably marco rosa might have to bring in but but with bayern and you know julian nagelsmann not you know still are, are getting on the right track yet because they've been knocked out of the champions league and there's issues there at bayern as well do you think this season is probably a missed opportunity for dortmund i, I think it's hard not to see it like that um I think any season when Bayern are like reachable is is a season that becomes an opportunity for Dortmund, and there haven't been many of those. So this year, as you say, Bayern are nine points clear. This year, um, with with five games to go, it will be the tenth league title in a row for Bayern. Uh, Dortmund, when when they last won the title in 2012 under Jurgen Klopp, set a new record for points in a Bundesliga season with with 81 points. I think Bayern won't break that this season uh, unless they win all of their remaining games I think now at this point but Bayern have gone over that 81 point mark in six or seven of the nine league winning seasons so we're not asking Dortmund to keep up with the best team in Germany we're asking Dortmund every single season to keep up with the best team that German football has ever seen and and that was true in 2013 and it was true in I think two of the three seasons under Pep Guardiola and it was true last season or the season before again. We're talking about a team that five or six years in a row, or five or six, sorry, of the last eight or nine years, has won more points than any team has ever won in the history of the league, which at some point you have to put your hands up and say fair play to Bayern Munich because that is incredible. And then I think when when you take a step back from that and you think about Dortmund needing to win the league, needing to be there in case Bayern have one of these poorer seasons, we're not asking Dortmund to be good and to not slip up. We're asking Dortmund to be as good as Klopp's peak Dortmund in order to compete for a title, which sounds like a ridiculous bar to set, but that is the bar and it's the bar that Bayern have set. So as you mentioned, when you have a player like Emre Can who makes errors that I think three or four years ago, you watched Emre Can and you saw such a talented athlete and footballer and you thought, okay, and then three or four years, he probably won't make those mistakes. He, but he still does. The, those moments of concentration being lost. I mean, the Leipzig. You mentioned the Leipzig game before recently. I, I was in the stadium for that, and he he made it, he gave the ball away really poorly for the first goal. But he'd given the ball away in exactly the same way about 45 seconds earlier, and then he made the exact mistake again. He got away with it the first time. The second time, obviously, it's going to get punished if you keep making those mistakes. And to think, you know, a player at that age and you know, sort of really should be at his absolute peak now. And still, his his best games for Dortmund, his best position for Dortmund has been as a as a centre back in a back three, which is you know all, every position in the modern game is challenging. But there's not a position that offers you more protection than playing as a third centre back. So to think that he's still you know, making mistakes, giving giving up the ball really loosely or giving away penalties playing in a position that is probably the most protected in the modern game. It's, it's, it's a real disappointment. Yeah. And, and Dortmund, you know, signed him 
to bring more experience and, and more of an established player into what was a team that was often criticised for being too young. And then he's making the mistakes that, I mean, if a 19 or a 20 or 21 year old was making them, you'd say to yourself, well, at least he's going to learn from them. And all the evidence we have at the moment is that Emery Chan doesn't. I mean, going forward into next season, in, and in the, in, I mean, after possibly making some decent changes in the summer what do you think is probably the realistic, like should be the realistic expectations from Marco Rosa and Dortmund next season? I think I, th- I think it's always important for Dortmund to not slip below second. I don't think there's ever really, as long as the coach is doing a good job, as long as players are performing and the squad is half decently assembled, when you talk about that financial difference between Bayern and Dortmund being the same advantage that Dortmund have over Leipzig or Leverkusen, Wolfsburg there's not an excuse if there's no excuse for Bayern not to win the league there's never an excuse for for Dortmund not to finish second um, I think right now you look at Bayern and Dortmund are about to lose a striker that scores a goal every game on average he hasn't scored for a while but on average he will score a goal a game and Bayern still have one um, well, this year scoring actually way over a goal a game uh, I don't think it's possible to be anywhere near Bayern as long as that's the case. And I think, obviously, the dominance of the team in a few years when when it's not Robert Lewandowski or next year, maybe, who knows. But in a couple of years, two, three, four years, at some point it won't be Robert Lewandowski. But Bayern are so dominant that there will be a striker who will score, I don't know, 25 or 30 goals. But if that isn't 35 goals, then you see a gap for Dortmund to have a chance. I think the I think the problem Dortmund have had in recent years is that balance between being able to compete with the top teams, or I think it's I think it's something that's really hard and something they've not achieved. You have to be able to come up with a style of play that means you can beat Bayern and and hold your own against Bayern in, in those head-to-head fixtures, but then also you can break a team down when they when they when you go away from home and, and Augsburg or Hertha stick everybody behind the ball and they fight because they're fighting against relegation and they fight like crazy. And Dortmund were really great at winning those teams and patiently unlocking the door under Lucien Favre, and then they turned and they were and they were fine in the big games at home. But then they went to Barcelona or they went to London to play Tottenham or they played when Mauricio Pochettino was still in charge or they played in Munich and they got smashed every single time. And I think that's the the unique challenge that a team in Dortmund's position have is to make sure you win the games against the 15 teams that will finish below you or 16 teams that will finish below you, but also have a style that means you can go to Munich and compete with Bayern. I, I think so often it's one or the other. And to find a coach and to, to assemble a squad that can do both of those things and, and go, you know, not just to Bayern away, but to Leverkusen and Leipzig and, and beat those teams at home as well. And then still not be bothered by going to Augsburg and going to Hertha and going to Union and, and having to be patient and pick the lock a little bit. To, it, it, you need so much talent and really, really great coaching, I think, to, to be able to achieve both of those. And that's where Dortmund have lacked something the last few years. They've managed to get one right, but not the other. And and not just the Bundesliga. I think uh, in, the, in the past, in the recent past, Dortmund have like put on a fight for the DFB Pokal and have been like Bayern's opponents in the Super Cup most of the time. So... That's that's again another competition wherein they they couldn't progress. They went out to St. Pauli uh, in the round of 16, if I'm not mm. wrong. Yeah, so that's that's again uh, something that 
I guess they should be like looking forward to push and possibly win a cup if if not and, Yeah, absolutely. And and look at Europe as well. Like I don't think Dortmund can expect to be competing for the Champions League. I, I think it's unrealistic to think that they'll be there with Real Madrid and, and Bayern and Man City and Liverpool every year. But you look at this season's quarterfinals with Ajax, with Benfica and with Villarreal, like these are not teams that should be outperforming Dortmund. And it's a really long time since Dortmund played the Champions League quarterfinal now. For a club that size, with you mentioned the, the squad earlier, like it, it probably the in terms of just talent, the most talented squad maybe since Thomas Tuchel was in charge of the club. He never took the team there. This is, it shouldn't be accepted. You know, it's not only going far in the diff, but Pokal is something and, and obviously won it last year, but it's only twice since 2012 that Dortmund have, have won the DFB Pokal and, and three times, four times been in the final. And it, it's just not enough for a team, for a club like Dortmund to be happy to be in the Champions League or to get out of the group stage, you know, to finish to be not just finished, to, like Dortmund was smashed by Ajax this season. We're talking about a club, with, like a great, great club with great history, but financially they do not have the power that Dortmund have nowadays. They have a superb academy, they have a superb coach, but they shouldn't be completely outplaying Dortmund. And, and they did that in Amsterdam and they did that once Dortmund had gone down to 10 men in, in Germany as well. And then to be knocked out, of, you mentioned at the top, to be knocked out of the Europa League by Rangers. Like it's just the kind of thing that, shouldn't be happening and sometimes maybe it feels like Dortmund don't sometimes it feels like Dortmund are criticised a bit too much because I think people ask oh, should they be closer to Bayern and I think the answer is always sort of no and it's because Bayern are great and, and so far ahead but then they maybe don't get criticised as much as they should when they lose to Ajax or lose to Rangers who are teams that they should be beating Yeah I, I completely agree with that the Ajax games were actually a pain to watch if you were like a Dortmund fan because <laughs> they completely outplayed and I mean, fair play to Ajax as well because they were like one of the best teams in the Champions League uh, over the group stages, and Benfica somehow got past them uh, in the in, in the in the knockout stage. And yeah, so that that was pretty much uh, a painful painful experience for Dortmund fans. But um, considering Karim Adeyemi might might Adeyemi might you know join Dortmund next season because he's been heavily linked, and I guess that possibly is deal done. Uh, I've been I've been hearing uh, reports of a 35 million bid being put. I'm not I'm not really sure how legit the rumor is, but I I guess he is Dortmund's number one target if Haaland were to go. And do you think he would be uh, you know a decent enough replacement for Haaland? Yeah, it feels like he's the number one target. Definitely, he's he's been linked for for months now. Um, you're going back to like October, November. He's been like really seriously linked with the club. The the last stuff out of Austria was that. Uh, Dieter Mateschitz, the the kind of head of Red Bull, is, is kind of determined not to let him go to Dortmund and, and doesn't want him to go there. Obviously, they want him to go to Leipzig, but it doesn't sound like he really wants that. Um, I, I wonder if if the Red Bull organization is a little bit upset still that Dortmund got Erling Haaland instead of him moving on to Leipzig. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's obviously. I think he's really different to Haaland and he's almost like a winger, right? Like so, so good in terms of close control and dribbling and, and beating a man. I, but I don't think it's a problem. I don't think Dortmund can find Erling Haaland number two. Uh, so I think to find a player that will have his have gravity in his own way with close control and, and, and you know, that 
sort of burst over five yards, which is something they really lack this season. It's something that I think a lot of people hoped on Yamalan would, would bring something of, but he's just not quite got going. To think that, yeah, Adeyemi, you know, there, there hasn't been anyone to kind of replace what Sancho brought to the team in that regard. And I guess Adeyemi is, is maybe seen more as that. And yeah, obviously, if you're going to replace, if, if he's fit, then you're thinking you're going to get 30 or 35 goals in all competitions from Erling Haaland. I, I, the only way I think to, you know, money ball, the, like you can't, nobody's going to, but um, if Dortmund can find a way to, to keep Gio Reyna fit and that's six or seven extra goals. And if they can find a way to make Daniel Marlon more prominent in the side and, and Adeyemi comes in and brings 10, 15 goals of his own and, and there's another 10 goals for Marlon somewhere, then I think that's obviously, you know, in the aggregate, um, if you like. So I, yeah, I, I'm a little bit suspicious. I also just, you know, I look at the league table and I, Dortmund are, are on course to concede the most goals they've conceded in a, in a Bundesliga season since, I think, 2008. Um, I, I mean, that's just crazy to, to think where they were in 2008. Dortmund finished 13th in the league then and, and had finished like 8th, 9th, 10th the season before. The Dortmund were a club that had come out of bankruptcy and were never in Europe. For, there was like 10 years without being in the Champions League. To think that this team is conceding as me- or the only team in recent history that conceded more goals was that team is mad. I think that obviously, yeah, there are, there are ways to build a football team, right? And if you can't replace the guy that scores 30 goals for you, then how about fixing the defence as well a little bit? So... Yeah, I, I, you replace Haaland with, with Adeyemi and maybe you do get more out of Michael Royce or Gio Reyna or, or Daniel Marlon as well. But also, let's fix the defence. And there are very few games this season where Dortmund have played really well. The, the home game against Freiburg sticks out to me as, as a performance that you thought you'd see from a Michael Royce or Dortmund. Like the, the counter-pressing they just, in the first half in particular was the best performance of the season. The completely suffocated Freiburg, who in their own right are a really, really good side, and penned them in and, and kept them boxed into their own half and forced high turnovers and created chances from that. And I think that's what Dortmund are going to need. And I think it will be great for the team to move on from, and for the club to move on from Erling Haaland and not have maybe a kind of saviour kind of figure who, and that doesn't, that's not to diminish Jude Bellingham especially, who I think will become that figure for fans in particular because of the way he plays and, and the fact that he just does everything in midfield. But to not have this option of this guy who can hold the attack on his own and you hit the ball to him and hope that he beats two or three guys or he beats somebody in a race, like the, to force the team and the coaching staff into a situation where they have to come up with ways to create chances again and not be smashed out of the, out of the gates by somebody who's just... A, superhuman by the looks of things is I think only going to benefit everybody at the club hopefully and uh, defensively like you said I mean Dortmund managed to get like a good couple of years from Mats Hummels after they resigned him from Bayern hopefully they get something out from Niklas Sula as well next season and they kind of you know let let the I mean let the loose doors shut quite, quite a bit so <laughs> hopefully they improve the defense as well and that's probably enough for Dortmund but since we've touched Dortmund we possibly should touch Marco former club as well Borussia Mönchengladbach Adi Hutter signed for them he was quite highly rated last season as, uh, and 
this whole manager merry go around happened last season where marker was moved and rata moved and there's this set of changes to lena gelsman moving from life freak to um, i mean bayern as well so but unfortunately for gladbach they haven't really had a good season so far so what's what's really happened there it's 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 kind of come as a surprise for me because i felt they kind of underperform last season under makarosa but i'm i'm not really, really sure what's happened there this season no i agree completely and yeah it was strange like the start of the season well i mean literally the first game of the season playing against bayern and they looked pretty good and then they uh, collapsed pretty quickly i mean they switched from adi hutter like you said adi hutter had a really really successful time at frankfurt you know, twice nearly got them into the champions league going down to the last couple of days of the season and took them into to the europa league semifinals as well in his first season this is a coach that has got so much out of a group of players that probably shouldn't be capable of quite that much and then as you also say he arrived at gladbach this season and has a squad that probably performed below its abilities last year so it's a really weird one i think gladbach are in a tricky situation because it's a they're one of one of a few bundesliga clubs who are big clubs but any player who does well is immediately looking at where they can go next is it is it dortmund or maybe a move to the premier league or or even sometimes you know leverkusen is is considered maybe a tiny step up a team that's more regularly playing in the champions league which is really what gladbach should be aiming for it's really tough to put your finger on what's actually gone wrong this season i think at the start of the season like i say hutter played he played a back 3 and he used it at frankfurt and he, i don't know if the players didn't like it but he gave up on it really quickly this season and then everything went awfully they they conceded a lot of goals i i wrote about this on my newsletter a couple of months ago um or about a month ago and quite typically i i basically said that gladbach were better than the league table says and that everybody thought they went and lost 6-0 to dortmund the next weekend so maybe i'm full of absolute rubbish uh, but really if you look at the, yeah the xg the xg the the expected goal difference those kind of things There's really that game against Dortmund. There's a game against Leverkusen and a game against Leipzig. And in those two games, Leverkusen and Leipzig, they used the back four and not the back three that he usually plays. And that huge, they're huge outliers those games compared to their general performance. So I think for the most part they've been unlucky. I think they've been unlucky in front of goal. They've been unlucky in the fact that you know with injuries, Marcus Thuram two years ago was fantastic and has barely played since. um his partnership with Alessandro Player is was great and and look like it should be great again i mean bro ambolo is another forward who just so often looks like he should be capable of so much more i thought he was brilliant for switzerland at the euros in the summer uh, yeah switzerland surprised a lot of people and he was really really good leading the line for them and has come back with gladbach and not really done much at all I think that Hutter didn't know how to get the most out of Florian Neuhaus who last season was playing so that he's being linked with Bayern and with Dortmund and with Liverpool and I don't really think that he knew how to use him as as a under Rosa he was going so good last season playing as as one of the deeper midfielders in a 4231 but breaking forward and getting into the box and and being really dangerous that way and I don't think Hutter is quite so willing to let his midfielders do that and I think that's really have been an issue for for Neuhaus and then an issue for Gladbach. I I love Claudio Cone who who's come in and 20 years old he's playing his first season in the Bundesliga come come from Toulouse last summer and 
I mean, you talk about a midfielder that can do everything. He he really can do everything. He covers ground and he's tenacious and he's just really great technically and calm in possession. You, you don't accidentally beat Bayern Munich or take four points off Bayern Munich in a season and knock them out of the cup. Like, this is a really, in terms of the squad and the coach, it's a really good team. They've just not figured out, you know, on top of a bit of bad luck, they're not winning enough of the games. That that old problem of being able to compete above your level, but then maybe not beating the teams that you should be beating, they've not figured out that balance yet under under Adi Hutter. And that's going to be a big challenge. It's especially going to be a big challenge because so many of the, the key players are out of contract now, in either this summer or next summer. Dennis Sakuri already left for Inter in the, in the winter. And then you have Matthias Ginter this summer has, has confirmed he wants on a new contract. He'll go for free. And then I think we're now, what, like 14, 15 months out from player and Turam being able to walk away as well. Jonas Hoffman is another one who's been fantastic the last two seasons whenever he's been on the pitch. So I, I don't I don't watch Gladbach. Um, I think that they should the performances, the, the results should be better. The performances aren't bad, but should be better. The results aren't as good as they should be, but they also deserve a little bit more. But I do really worry what's going to happen in the next 12, 18 months when, I mean, we could be looking at three or four players who are crucial players to them all leaving. We could look at that, be looking at that happening and the club basically getting no money for them. And on top of that, Max Erbel, who is has been considered one of the best sporting directors in, in Europe and certainly in Germany for the last five, six, seven, eight years. And, you know, was was with Lucien Favre in charge behind Gladbach, narrowly surviving relegation and within two years qualifying for Europe. Would you know? Would he's left the club as well and under under stress and wanting needing time out and a break from the game. So we're not really sure at all what the direction of the of the new leadership is going to be in, in terms of squad building and and that sort of thing. So yeah, I I think. I don't know if they've stuck with Adi Hutter because they believe in him or because they paid a lot of money to get him and couldn't afford to then, on top of that, cancel his contract and, and find somebody else to take over. But I think it's good for them that they've still got Adi Hutter in charge. But it's a really, really huge summer to find basically half a new team and or convince one or two of those players to sign new contracts. Yeah, I mean, the the players that you mentioned, like so Marcus Turam, um, Florian Nehos, uh, Claudio Cone as well, these three probably stands out for me because uh, they've been really good. Cone especially this season has been amazing. Uh, um, Nehos, like like you mentioned, last season he was linked with Liverpool and uh, I managed to catch a lot of clips uh, and videos of him and it was, it was quite quite interesting, the link. And I, I honestly thought there would be some kind of movement uh, with Nehos as well, but it, it didn't could, materialize. You could see him with Liverpool as a kind of Vinaldum replacement, right? Like this, yeah. this really hard-working, tough-in-the-tackle exactly. midfielder who arrives in the box at the right moment. Exactly, exactly. I mean, because since Vinaldum left last season, it, it did make sense for us to like, go for a midfielder, but Liverpool eventually decided not to and Javier Leitz played there. And the midfield's been quite tweaked this season. There's been like a bit of shift where in the right, the right centre midfielder like goes down to the wide areas while Trent Alexander-Arnold moves more centrally. So it has been like a change. And yeah, we, we've been seeing uh, issues with that too. There's been downsides to that as well because we've been getting caught on turnovers quite often without balance. Wijnaldo was kind of that person who used to keep the ball and, you know, slow down the game when, when 
we really needed to so that's that's been that's been seen this season but yeah nehas would have been like a really good signing for liverpool last season but it's it's been like pretty sad to see him not you know coming coming on top after that good season but yeah like like you mentioned i think there's like a lot of stylistic mismatch as well with 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 the whole squad so i guess uh, either the players would have to buy into his his style sooner or later or he might need like get in uh, probably a, a few players who would possibly form a good spine on what he really wants uh, i mean in terms of tactics and style so another team similar to gladbach who's who's really fallen off a cliff a cliff is wolfsburg again uh, i was quite surprised uh, to see wolfsburg appoint van bommel in the summer and he didn't quite do well and it's it's again been a bad season for them uh, along with another club stuttgart uh, stuttgart I, i guess it's been a lot to do with injuries sasa kalatsic who's like a really important player for them last season he's been injured most of the season silas as well quite he's missed quite a few games i think there's like a lot of players who's who's missed like a, i mean i i was i was actually uh, chatting with uh, babu yago known uh, known by the name babu yago on twitter stephen drennan and we were mentioning how stuttgart was like closer to the relegation zone right now i think they are on 26 points uh, which is quite on level with armenia if i'm not wrong um, who's who's just below them or or hertha i think it is hertha berlin who's, who's just below them at the moment and he he actually shared this transfer market photo of the injury history that that Stuttgart has <laughs> been had to uh, struggle with this season and it was absolutely bonkers so many red uh, red you know red signs it was pretty much sad to see how how this season's been materialized and do you think it's more to do again with injuries rather for Stuttgart i, I think for Stuttgart especially yeah and i think this is the problem when you play such a specific style like last year you mentioned Silas there Silas played a role that was like I don't think another player statistically and and tactically in all of Europe would profile anything like him. They you know in in defense it was a back five and he was the right wing back and then when they had the ball he was in Mohamed Salah style positions like he completely left the build up phase Uh, and and the right center back was usually Mavropanos or, or sometimes Pascal Stenzel became the the right back if you like in a in a back four with with Borna Sosa the other wing back also getting forward but also staying back like you would expect your left back to be involved in the the build up phase um and and yes Silas would he would just disappear like he would he would average I can't remember off the top of my head but it was like no he was like you know for for full backs wing backs he was in the first percentile for passes and the 99th percentile 100th percentile for uh, for for shots and dribbles and things like that like he would basically play right back when Stuttgart were defending and then they would lose the ball and he wouldn't exist until it was in the final third and i can't remember another player who who played a role like that or or played it or interpreted it in the same way and as you say he's he's been missing for almost the entire season I think they were really impressive last season coming up. He's been missing, Sasakalajic has been missing. That's I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I would guess that's comfortably more than half their goals last season just between those two players. I don't think uh, any team really can like can swallow two hits like that. I, I don't think top teams can do it, but certainly not, you know, a club that's finishing in you know, sort of 
maybe on, in a good year, eighth and ninth in the league like they did last year. So, yeah, I, I feel really bad for Pellegrino Matarazzo, I think, is, is a really, really good coach. Uh, I, I think you have to criticise him as well because he's had a whole season now to come up with another way to get more out of the players that have been available. But I also think that maybe you have to question the, you know, the quality of the players who have been available in, as replacements. Roberto Massimo and Tango Koulibaly haven't progressed, I think, as much as people would have hoped or expected. And now you've seen a big uptick in, in performances and results in the last weeks since Thiago Thomas was signed and has been available. And it's like Stuttgart just have a striker again, a, a goal scorer, someone who's dangerous in the box. I think that says so much. Like it doesn't like it's such a great example. It doesn't matter how good a coach is or what they do to try and find a solution. Sometimes it really is just if you have a guy who's good in the box, then you will win football matches. And if you don't, then it doesn't matter how good everybody else is. You don't really have a chance. I mean, the point on Silas that you mentioned last season. I mean, if if you looked at his heat map, you would you you would re- you wouldn't really able to you know. Me- uh, you wouldn't really be able to say where he plays because it was so scattered. I think that's pretty much what uh, they, he's been trying to do with uh, Tango Koulibaly as well this season, I, I feel. Because he's been uh, on as like a right wing back when you look at the formations, but he's been all over the pitch as well. But I don't think he's been able to uh, impact as much. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty uh, good point. And I think Bona Sosa has also like been linked with uh, a move away. And... He's, with, he's, with, Barcelona, with Barcelona this week, yeah. Yeah, and I think he's 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 been one of the best uh, left wing backs or the players, I would say, in in the Bundesliga in the last two seasons. So yeah, that's that that would actually be a very you know deserved move for him. And yeah, uh, we we didn't touch on Wolfsburg again, who who's, who's also seemed to be uh, seemed to have like fallen off the cliff. So what's what's been the case with them? As you said, I think it was. A, Surprise! A complete surprise to everybody that Mark van Bommel was was appointed. I, I mean, I I don't know what they, what what that was actually based on that decision to to go and appoint him. I feel like this is a classic case of a, of a player's playing career um, usurping maybe their, their what they've actually done as a coach and, and what they're actually capable of as a coach. I think Wolfsburg were always going to fall off because I think Oliver Glasner is a really really good coach, and you didn't see it in the first few months of the season with Frankfurt but you're seeing it now and and you've seen it I mean the, the, we're speaking on Thursday in the second leg of the Europa League against Barcelona is tonight um but last week you saw it against Barcelona and you've seen it against pretty much any any side that you want to name like teams at the bottom of the league teams at the top of the league obviously they don't have the quality to just beat everybody in the Bundesliga which is why they're still in mid-table but Oliver Glasner I think is is great at organizing a team you won't get really exciting games with him as your coach generally speaking but you you will not get an easy ride at all you'll never win comfortably and I think when you're playing in sort of mid-table that's all you can ask for I mean the success that 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 sort of approach and I think it's a that's a bit more of an agricultural style but that sort of approach has, has brought to Union Berlin for example the last couple of years it works in the Bundesliga and and if you kind of it's really if, if you're organized and then have a little bit more quality than the opposition in the Bundesliga that's enough to win most of your games and Glasner had that nailed at Wolfsburg and obviously got them to the Champions League last year his Frankfurt side looked really good again at the moment and Van Bommel was the complete opposite like they weren't organised. They went from being, uh, you know, from in terms of getting the ball forward, they went from being one of the fastest teams in the Bundesliga to one of the slowest almost overnight. 
the the centre backs went from completing not that many passes a game. The idea under Glasner, you know, they had Valverde Costa up front, who's who's now at Burnley, and as this big target man, and in midfield with Max Arnold and and Zavash Schleiger, two really hard working midfielders. And then suddenly you watch Wolfsburg at the start of the season under Van Bommel, and the ball wasn't getting forward. It was the centre backs passing to each other, and then maybe out to a fullback, and then it came back to the centre backs and this super. Dutch way of playing in in a bad way, you know, like bad Louis van Gaal, uh, where you just see a million passes, but the ball would never actually progress anywhere dangerous. And then Wolfsburg didn't wait too long to decide that that was actually terrible, and they went and appointed uh, Florian Kohfeldt, who again is a, another completely different kind of coach. Is you know his Werder Bremen were good for a while, and then they sold Max Kruse, and then they were bad, or Max Kruse left. And then they were bad, and uh, it's kind of gone exactly the same way at Wolfsburg, where they were bad, and then they signed Max Kruse, and now they're good. I think that like we could just conclude that Max Kruse is really, really, really good. Um, and Florian Kohfeldt can build good football teams, but can especially build good football teams when Max Kruse is in the middle of them. So, yeah, it's strange, and to think they've gone from this kind of conservative, organised approach under Glasner to what looked like they wanted to dominate possession and, and play patient and not direct football under Van Bommel. And then Kofeld is more in that maybe, I mean, use the term modern traditional German school of coaching where it's all about pressing and, and you know, cutting down angles for the opposition and boxing them in and closing them down and making things really uncomfortable. To go from one to the other to the next one in the space of, oh, I mean, it happened in the space of about five months it's just terrible, terrible. Talk about an idea or a long-term plan. It was horrible for Wolfsburg. Now that now that they have Max Kruse again, they seem to be okay, but still nowhere near the level that, that they will aspire to be. You know, they, they started the season in the Champions League and we're only now in, in March or April starting to talk about, yeah, they're definitely going to be safe. So it's, it's nowhere near good enough and, and the amount of money they spend, they should be in Europe you know, every season and Kofeld after they started the season so poorly, I don't think there was pressure on him for a while because it took ages for them to, he won the first game and then they lost like six and seven in a row. I think now that they're safe, the, no one's really talking about them, but uh, the sporting director, Jörg Schmacker is not usually the most patient guy. And if they're not near Europe quite early next season, then I think Kofeld will find himself under pressure pretty quickly. Like like you mentioned, Max Cruz is, is, is actually one of the pioneers of the Bundesliga in the last few years. As Union fans, uh, they've, they've, they've adored him like for a really good period now and they were like absolutely shattered to see him leave. So And they, they are actually uh, another team who's been like really good since they've come out to the Bundesliga. And they, they are consistently now trying to push for a position in Europe, uh, try to qualify for the Conference League or the Europa League. And we will end this podcast talking about one another team and one another player who's who's absolutely shocked me, to be honest. Uh, Cohn and Anthony Modest. Anthony Modest, It's it seems like he's had too much of a you know up and down career because he had his really good start at um, Bordeaux early in his career. Then it didn't really go well, uh, I mean, towards the end of his career in France. He got a move to Blackburn. Completely fell off. Blackburn got relegated. He went to Köln. Uh, he went to Germany. He, I think he went to Hoffenheim and had like a really good season. Went to Köln. Amazing season again. Got them qualifying for the Europa League. Then controversially moved to China. 
didn't quite go well according to plan. Came back to Germany and again, to go on, I don't know, initially it didn't go really well, got relegated, now they're back up and he's the top scorer again. So it's, it's his story is, is one, you know, one for the books, to be honest. So I'm quite intrigued to see how, how Korn had like, Korn had really turned this around because last season they were fighting for relegation. I think they were in the relegation playoffs as well. So what's, what's been the case with Modest in general and Korn, how, how they've like turned it around completely? I, I just had to look while you were, while you were talking. So Anthony Modest played seven games, three starts. St. Etienne in the first half of last season or oh, the second half I'm not sure which way around it was um, and, and he played eight times for Cohn and he started once and he didn't score a goal and the season before that he played 27 times in the Bundesliga for Cohn uh, 11 from the start and he scored four goals um, and now at the age of 34 he has 15 goals this season yeah but, uh, I think this speaks so much to at least Cohn over the past two years and then this year and Modest it speaks so much about not judging players without the context of, of the coach and the style of play. Uh, Cohen have the last few years been so awful to watch, so dull. So one of these really passive defensive teams that don't really press too hard and it's all about sitting in a nice tight block and not allowing spaces. And I don't think there are many strikers who will score many goals in, in that system. And Stefan Baumgart, who, who played as a striker himself, has come in the summer and he will be linked with much bigger jobs I think in the next couple of years Kona not out of the race for Europe I don't think they'll be in Europe but they're not out of the race for Europe Kona they play 4-4-2 and they press and they press and they press and they none of this fumble more centre-backs passing to each other like it's get the ball forward as quickly as possible and the wing-backs go up and it's the midfielder's job to you know, playing a diamond, it's, it's the midfielder's job to the holding midfielder to get the ball forward as quickly as possible and then sit with the centre-backs and join counter-pressing opportunities. The wide midfielders in the diamond, it's their job to support on the wings and get forward and break free as well. Like it, It's a diamond where you have oh, seven of the play, outfield players are expected to attack when Cohen have the ball, including obviously two centre-forwards. And, and Anthony Modest has perfected the art of just movement in the box like maybe the the Bundesliga's modern version to what Baz Dost was for a little while where in the box especially and I think he's better than than, than Baz Dost was outside of the area and, and linking up play and holding up the ball and that kind of thing but inside the area it's just all about sharp movements and reacting first and reacting quickest and reading the rebound or the cross and getting off the back of the defender and I think he's closing in on a Bundesliga record this season for headed goals in a single season. Um, I think we can have lots of arguments about how repeatable that is and, and if it's just one of those things that things seem to be going in for him this season. But he's getting in the positions over and over again. And if you do that, then you always give yourself a chance. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic. Baumgart was asked uh, earlier in the season when Modest was going on a scoring run, basically just what the hell have you done with him? to to get this from and he just turned around and said it's it's all him like it's got nothing to do with me um, I think it's very modest and I think it has everything to do with playing not playing 4-5-1 or 5-4-1 anymore and then playing up front with a strike partner and a number 10 and crosses flying into the box I haven't checked for a while but not that long ago Cone had by far the most crosses into the area of any Bundesliga team and I think they just enjoy that chaos and that 
that gamble of throwing something into the box and seeing what happens and maybe making the opposition panic a little bit. It's really, really working for them. And I I mean, who knows? We we seem to have so many, and we've spoken about a few, uh, you know, while we've been speaking, but we seem to have so many Bundesliga teams that have a great season and then have a surprisingly bad season the next one. I At the moment, I would be really surprised if that happened to Köln next year because I think they're really, really exciting to watch, in, but in a way that's sustainable. And, and to mention one other team really quickly that's the complete opposite you know they're aggressive and they press but Cone are flying because they throw everything forward and and really cause trouble for the opposition Mainz are having a great season because they do the exact opposite and they just shut everything down and play really great aggressive but defensive football like a like a good Atletico Atletico when you're watching them and they're pressing high and not Atletico when you're watching them when every single player is on the edge of their own box it's and when they get that right I think that's there's another style of play it's you know this thing that there's no right way or wrong way to play Cohn and, and Mainz both play this classically typically Bundesliga you know incredible high energy football but one of them does it with the focus on attack and one of it does it with the focus on defence and it's really nice to see both of them actually paying off. Uh, I, I just like, had a look on uh, FBRF when you mentioned about the crosses. Uh, and Korn uh, like, are like, like second uh, in the Bundesliga in terms of crosses into the penalty area. Uh, if, you, if you like take stats from data. I think they're like just one cross behind Union Berlin. So, <laughs> so that's that's pretty much uh, good. And I just looked at the... Uh, the numbers from the analyst as well. They are the highest ranked team uh, in terms of PPDA, I think. Uh, so, and they they are like third best in terms of high turnovers as well, winning the ball back. So that's that's pretty much that pretty much sums up how how they play. To be honest, uh, pressing a lot. And, and and that's and that's exactly why I think more than more than both Svensson at Mainz, you'll see bigger clubs go for Stefan Baumgart maybe in the next couple of years because obviously they they want that they they want that aggressive attacking front foot approach too yeah hope hope hopefully we get more, more of him and that's probably it for the for the episode thank you so much Louis, for joining in it was fun you know discussing bundesliga with you especially since you we have given us a lot of amazing amazing insights into different teams in the bundesliga especially dortmund so thank you once again so much for joining into the podcast no thanks so much for inviting me it's been yeah. nice great So, thank you again to all our listeners for tuning in to the episode. We'll see you next time. Until then, bye-bye. Happy Easter.